Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Caught offside. With Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside. Just outside of New York City. From apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Oh, what a day. What a day. There was drama. There was me. There was Big Meeks. There was Jamie Carraher. There was you somewhere sobbing crying in the corner after watching that finish for Tottenham Hotspur. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun today. It was one, one of the more engaging group stage weekend uh, weeks we've had. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. I mean, look, you and I are, are champions league group stage proponents. We're not in favor of the changes that are coming down the road for this competition. We think that it is, that it is utter perfection as it is that they are messing with a good thing. And today was one of those days where it was on full display of just how compelling even the group stage, even the group stage can be. We'll get to all of it. There's so many things. Yeah. What do you got? You just gave me the, the, no, the there, there are naysayers. We have received a, a number of, of tweets and I think they're fair saying that VAR, VAR has in, intruded upon our joy, but I think we'll get to that in your case because sure. I do think I think my 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 issues with VAR from from going back years they really have come to the come to the fore. Yeah, we'll get to that, of course. Um, VAR was certainly on center stage over uh, the last twenty four hours. There's there can be no denying that. So we'll get to all that. Tottenham, Atletico, PSG, and Messi's goal, Juve crashing out just. So many things back here in the U.S. There's a lot of stories uh, around the U.S. men's national team training camps that that will be preceding the World Cup for MLS players. It's it's all happening, JJ. But of course, we have to remind all of you. You've been so incredible up to this point, and I ask you to continue. Please subscribe, rate, review, subscribe, rate, review, subscribe, rate, review. All of those things. Tell your friends. I have been meeting so many people recently, JJ, that I didn't know 
we're huge soccer fans and they are, and I need to tell all of them you know, about this podcast and tell your friends who are soccer fans about this podcast, because as you all know, we're independent now and word of mouth is, it's everything. Tell passers-by, tell random people, tell people wearing soccer apparel. Just stop them and say, hey, I see that you're interested in soccer. Oh, you're not that interested in soccer. That's uh, something you bought at a thrift store. Doesn't matter. Give me your phone. Subscribe to this. Do it now. Do it now. Do it. We've got a, U- we've got a YouTube channel, Andrew. It's called <laughs> Caught Offside with Andrew and JJ. Uh, there's no videos on it yet. It is a barren wasteland. It is the Mojave Desert of YouTube channels. Go and click subscribe on it because there's going to be content coming on it real soon. I got to start working. Caught offside with Andrew and JJ. And you can see our ugly mugs very clearly. The terrible, terrible branding that we currently have until we replace that branding. It's all we got. So look at our pale faces and you will know that you're on the right place. Caught offside with Andrew and JJ. Go and hit subscribe now. And a reminder, of course, that we are not the website caught offside. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Just saying it right now. We are not the website caught offside. We have nothing to do with them. We are a podcast. They are a website. Can we talk about what has happened over the past couple of days? It's been it's been something. I want to can we we'll just start Tottenham. Is that OK? Well, yeah, but we, we haven't even mentioned that uh, I did as you as you would see it. I did my best to put myself front and center on stage, you could say. Yeah, yeah. I figured Park we'd get today. to that when we get to Liverpool. Oh, okay. Is that okay? Interesting. Well, I don't know. It right, just feels right. like that's your section to shine. All right. So everything else is the Andrew show. You, you've given me my own little little box. Yeah, Thanks JJ's corner. <laughs> <laughs> You'd love to put me in a box. You, you, get, you get a kick out of that. Uh, I can't contain you. You're a man unleashed. All right. So we'll, we'll do the two games from earlier today, or depending on when you're listening to this, yesterday, uh, Wednesday that are of the most controversy, just like outrageous finishes, drama at its absolute peak. We'll start with um, with Tottenham and Sporting Lisbon. Before we even get to the end of the game, um, my, my comments on things that transpired before then. First of all, what's happening with Marcus Edwards is got to be one of the low-key stories of this Champions League season. Maybe not even low-key. I mean, the story was on full display at the, the first leg between these two back in Portugal. And even more so now, he had his family in the stands. Remember, Marcus Edwards was a Tottenham youth prospect at age eight. He had been with Tottenham since he was eight. And now they let him go. He was on multiple loans. At one point, Pochettino referred to him as the next Messi. or In some way, he compared him to Messi. For whatever reason, it just didn't work out for him at that club. And he went out to Portugal. And now he's he's come back. He's come back to Spurs, and he has haunted them. And it's it's an unbelievable story. If you're a neutral, it's it's an amazing story. If you're a Tottenham fan, it kills you. You die inside as you're watching it happen. But uh, yeah, he had his family at the stadium today. It was an incredible moment for him. He scored a goal from probably about 22 yards out to put Sporting up 1-0 in the first half. Um, I thought Hugo Lloris could have done better on that. Seemed very slow sure. to react. I don't know if he was blocked in some way. I don't know what happened, if he just had his footing wrong. But not to take anything away from Marcus Edwards, it was a it was a brilliant performance, for, specifically in the first half. Um, what can you say? It's just like kind of one of those like I'll show you like on steroids type moments for him. Amazing. Uh, yeah, and it, I think it's even a bit reductive to say oh, I'll show you. It, I think it speaks to something we talk about 
all the time on the podcast. We're really quick to judge. If a guy doesn't work out in the top flight in England, we cast him aside and that's it. Out of sight, out of mind, didn't work out. Good luck in your new life as an accountant because you won't be a professional footballer. And it's so silly and stupid. Football's not linear like that. It doesn't work like that. Um, I, I, I have him in my three kind of guys that you wouldn't have been talking about going into the Champions League, but now you are. It's like Marcus Edrig, uh, Edwards, Mudrig, and Rafa Silva. Oh, we'll <laughs> get to him. Yeah, we'll get to him. But those three guys have kind of gone front and center. And and Edward, what Edwards is doing, we shouldn't just be so Anglo-centric or Tottenham-centric about it. I mean, he wants to play. He wants to create a career for himself. And he's done it in a in a manner that's less, we'll say, the path less trodden. It's rare for English players to go abroad at that age. Less rare than it used to be, but quite rare for it to happen. Um and for them to shine. And the fact that they're coming back to rub Tottenham's noses in it, I'm sure is... It's pretty incredible. I mean, uh, it is incredible. Now, I will say this on Tottenham's behalf. Um, look, we'll see how this story plays out, what Marcus Edwards' career goes on to be. At The way it looks right now, it looks like it's going to be a really good career. Um, but to to speak on the Tottenham side, it's worked out for them too. Like, I mean, I know that they haven't looked this season like the way we you know, thought they might look. But you know, qualifying for the Champions League, like they're also... They're doing okay. Like I don't know if he were still there, what it would mean for players who are currently on the squad. Like, would he be preventing? Uh, I don't know, Son or like Kulosevsky or I, I mean, no. Kulosevsky. I, mean, like, I don't we... know where he he would how things would play out differently. But I think it's kind of it, it's one of those things where it's probably worked out for the best for both sides. Uh, to quote uh, Soren Kierkegaard. Life must be uh, understand by understood by looking backwards, but must be lived forwards. And I'd like you to go forward to tonight, Andrew, and put this Marcus Edwards behind you. The other thing I'll say about Tottenham again before getting to the end of this game and the controversy: uh, the first half once again was poor. They are just <laughs> slow starting. They were terrible in the first half. Now we've talked a lot this season about something just doesn't quite look right. Well, I wouldn't say that in the second half. I thought they were excellent in the second half. They couldn't finish their chances. They ended this game a full goal better than sporting in the XG. I think it was 1.85 to 0.87. I mean, we were talking about players against their their youth teams. Like Marcus Edwards was the youth product for Tottenham, and he came back to bite them. Let's look at the reverse of that. I mean, how Eric Dyer was a sporting. He grew up in Portugal, and sporting was the club where he came up in. And, like, tonight was his chance to, you know, not that he has any ill will against sporting, but how many golden opportunities did he miss in the 90th minute? A free header that from header. seven yards out. That uh, header, and he knew it himself. Oh, yeah. He just cradled his head in his fingers, and he, he just knew it. Absolutely. That's guilt-edged opportunity. And then we don't have any of the controversy at the end. So, yeah, for, <laughs> for, for all the controversy that wound up happening, Tottenham, like, it, it would be a little bit, disingenuous to act like that's the that was the reason that Tottenham were robbed of the full three points they did it like they played well in the second half but they did it to themselves with an inability to finish I mean they had a ton of opportunities in the second half it felt like that dam was going to break and sure enough Bentoncourt at least got the the equalizer um but there there probably should have been more I would say I thought um I we're, we're talking about guys who have been sent away or banished or left Tottenham. A guy who left Tottenham for a while and then came back, Brian Heal, I thought was very good yeah. in the second ha- half driving the team forward. And I thought Conte wanted nothing to do with him, that he wanted to send him back to the land of Lilliputians or wherever he came from. But um, 
he had a great game. And if anything, people were getting in his way uh, when he was trying to create. But um, but yeah, let's let's fast forward to the uh, to the main talking point. Unfortunately, so like of of all of the weird ways that goals have been disallowed, I mean, this might be the first one for me that I feel like I feel like when I look at it, I've seen all the still the still shots, I've seen all the different angles. I mean, and then I see the way the lines are drawn and I guess you can't argue with it. Like the lines are where they are. You can see for yourself that it's offside, but I continue to, even with the lines, I continue to look at where the ball is and where Emerson is and where Kane is. And it just, it's like looking at a effing optical illusion. Like it might be the first VAR goal I've seen disallowed that looked like this it's like nothing about it at any point looks like an offside but when the lines are put down it is i've never i haven't seen anything like this one yet this is for so, me this was a first uh christina uncle had the the difficult job on cbs having just jumped up on stage hadn't se- hadn't seen the uh the incident at all and then had to opine on it like almost as she was watching it um, and so she left everyone's brains, like everyone on the panel. It's not like she didn't do a good job. It's just everyone was scratching their heads, including Peter Schmeichel, who wasn't aware of what Dale Johnson is putting down in his tweet. Dale is always the guy to go to for this stuff. Uh, Harry Kane ahead of the ball. Haven't seen any 3D visualization version, but the ball went backwards, Eric Dyer said. The direction a ball is played in is irrelevant for offside. The deflection is not is also not a deliberate play, so it doesn't reset Kane's offside position. He's just, just like what we've always talked about that that deep, deep level of offside that the naked eye will not pick it up. Now, I can hear a thousand people, many of them probably Arsenal supporters, saying, "Well, the right decision is the right decision. Offside is not. It's not subjective. It's it is what it is." I understand all that, but is this what we want? What a thrilling moment. What an unbelievable moment. I honestly believe in the absence of VAR, no sporting player would have thought about offside. They wouldn't have felt any sense of injustice. There there may have been replays on TV, but it would be too hard to tell. If you don't put lines down, you can't. I don't think you can see this. No, of course you can. Right. Is this what we is this what we want? No. That's the question. No, we don't we no, I I firmly believe nobody wants this, but this is what we have. And this is the world you all wanted. Everyone that got on my back about VAR early on, calling me a, a Luddite, calling me a... Who called you that? I'd like to know who called you a Luddite. A uh, guy on Twitter. <laughs> okay. You know who the Luddites were, right? Uh, sure. The, <laughs> is this your Arctic monkeys? Again? <laughs> anyway, the, the Luddites were an anti... Uh, there were kind of an agrarian movement in the 19th century that hated the idea of mechanization. And so they would destroy machines, you know, didn't want anything to do with it. It's You're like going to sit there and make me feel bad about myself for not knowing that. You don't know who the Luddites were? Uh, uh, an ancient agrarian civilization that destroyed machines? You don't know I, that? I mean, you can't. You're not even listening to the sentences. An ancient civilization. Whatever it was you said. I don't know. What was it? 18th century? Anyway, I got called a dinosaur, everything. But this is the this was always the way it was going to go. It was always going to be this kind of molecular level stuff. And now we're losing out on, on big moments. I mean, how flat 
let's just think about supporters. Forget Antonio Conte being sent to the stands. Forget about the players. Just as a entertainment uh, vehicle that football is, or, or a release from the drudgery of your life. Imagine people walking out of White Hart Lane tonight after that. Absolutely sickened. Sickened. Now, John Bruin reported that there was a lot of um, uh, Tottenham fans who were complaining, not about the decision, but he was saying um, there were, he was complaining about that first half performance. Sure. And some of the players. So, you know, maybe on balance, 1-1 one, one is, is the correct score. We got there in the end. But still, I think, I don't know, it, it left me feeling very strange because I was watching the end of that game. I'm not a Tottenham supporter, but when Kane swiveled and whipped that into the net, I punched the air. And I loved the ball from, from Perisic. What an amazing pass. Good little nod down. Okay, it takes a flick. Everything about that was good. And to have it taken away for, for the molecular level stuff, it doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, the, the molecular level stuff is where we, that's our common ground. If, if you have the Venn diagram of, of my thoughts on VAR and your thoughts on VAR, the, the, the part in the middle where we overlap is the molecular level stuff. Like, you know, we yeah. talked about how MLS, like, just don't put the lines down. Just have, like, keep it, keep the human element there. Don't put them down. If a human being can't look at, I mean, what are they, VAR offsides are supposed to be instantaneous, right? Either it is or isn't. That review took four minutes. So yeah, clearly, that's another thing. So clearly, well. it was it was difficult, even with lines, with whatever, for it to have taken that long. So, don't put them down. Let a human being look at it. If it's not distinguishable to the human eye, then it's whatever on the field was is what it is. I don't I don't know why we're making this more difficult than it needs to be. I I will always believe that VAR is a useful tool to getting the correct outcomes of a match. I just will always think that we it has to be there as a safeguard to prevent some kind of gross injustice. But it doesn't need to be molecular like this. It just doesn't. Um, but look, in the end, if offside is what it is, it's it's black and white. So. VAR giveth and VAR taketh away. Tonight it took away from Tottenham. Back in 2019, one of the greatest nights of my life as a Spurs fan was courtesy of VAR against Manchester City. So, yeah, it, I guess it all evens out for everyone in the end. Uh, but it's I did I did think of that. I really did think of that night where everyone was waiting and ultimately Spurs came out the right side of it. I mean, it was one of the incredible pieces of luck they had in that run to the 2019 Champions League final. So maybe, you know what, let, let's go back what, with what Ron Atkinson used to say. Uh, when a decision went against them in, in September, he'd say, well, hopefully they even themselves out over the course of the season. Yeah. Oh. Over the course of the last few years of the Champions League, maybe you had this one coming, Gundling. I mean, there were people that night that left the Etihad after the goal went in. Um, they left right away to try to beat the traffic. They thought they woke up the next morning and thought Manchester City had won. Like there was a man who was interviewed in the parking lot on his way out. Um I mean, you can find the clips of it on YouTube. It's hilarious. He's he's being told live on television that Manchester City actually lost, that the goal didn't count. I mean, so, yeah, you, <laughs> this stuff happens. And, and I mean, that might just be just a regular City fan. You know? <laughs> if you watch the sport long enough and you follow it long enough, you'll be on all sides of it. Uh, last bit on it, JJ, because I think the, the part in all this, like you could hear Eric Dyer on the field pleading with the official afterwards saying but yeah. but he passed the ball backwards the ball went backwards um 
and I think we all accepted that to be the case. So on Sky Sports, they have an explanation, and, and they ask the question, can you be offside from a backwards pass? Because this is the optical illusion that I'm talking about. It doesn't yeah. – physic- like the physics of it don't make sense. But here's what they say. Yes, if the ball is passed backwards but the receiving player is ahead of the ball when it is played, they can still be offside upon receiving it. In this case, because the def- uh, because the deflection that took the ball into Kane's path is not considered a deliberate play, Kane's offside position was not reset. This kind of incident is rarely seen and is no doubt a painful one for Spurs. But despite their protestations, Eric <laughs> Dyer shouted the ball went backwards to officials after the game. This was done by the book. The, the optical illusion is aided greatly by the fact that the ball was then played forward on a deflection. So what what is so funny to you about this? It's just so perfect for Tottenham, isn't it? Uh, Tottenham tonight, uh, very unlucky, of course. Uh, we go to live to uh, to White Hart Lane and we, we pick it up. Gary Newborn, oh, you won't believe what's happened. An optical illusion has beaten Spurs. Like, it's perfect. I could see Spurs in, a, in the next FA Cup final. And Spurs are just minutes away from clinching their first trophy since 2008. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. A Tyrannosaurus Rex is on the field. Well, we haven't seen this before. He is eating the players, eating spectators. Oh, no. Like, yeah. Oh, just... A black hole has opened up. It has pulled Lucas Mora into an offside position and a goal has been ruled out. A rip in the space time continuum has caused Tottenham to lose this game. Like, just, just this is the history of the Tottenham. Oh, how dare you? How dare you invoke that in this moment? You have no soul. So, yeah, I mean, look, Tottenham, this group, I mean, you want to talk about the compelling nature of group play? Look no further than this group. You've got all four teams going into the final match day separated by two points, eight, seven, seven, six. The group of freaks. Incredible. And so now Tottenham, they could have, they they had the group one. Now they don't. Now they got to go to Marseille and they got to get a draw. It's doable. It's not easy. Are they letting people back into the velodrome? I I assume they are. Yeah, I I thought so. I thought that was, I thought that had, that That's probably expired. Oh, that's going to be, oh, that's a belter. That is the potential to be a belter. Uh, So that match day will be, will be thrilling as uh, Tottenham, they thought, I mean, they, they celebrated as though they had it. And then several minutes later, the history of the Tottenham. We go from that, JJ, to Bayer Leverkusen, Atletico Madrid. And look, I try to be I try to be measured on this podcast. I uh, I try to avoid hyperbole at all costs. I think it's damaging um, to be reactionary in the moment. But I'm going to go ahead, JJ, and say that this is among the most exciting finishes I've ever seen to a game. Now, hear me out, because I know that statement probably sounds a little <laughs> bit ridiculous and prisoner of the moment for sure. But here's how I rate one of the ways that I rate the, the insanity of a moment is, okay, how many times within one sequence of play was I forced to scream? And uh, I rate ooh. I rate this five screams in one single sequence. There's the initial scream. We're, uh, by the way, we, we fast-forwarded right to the end here with the way this played out. We can fill in the blanks beforehand, but hopefully everyone knows what I'm referring to. The first scream... It was a good game. Xabi Alonso looks sexy. Um, by the way... A good-looking man, just it's looks like he could still. It, it, it's it sickens me. It takes your breath away. But anyway, the first scream JJ was when the referee for me actually decided to go look at the monitor, 
The second scream yeah. was when he actually then pointed to the spot. The third scream, obviously, is the initial penalty save. The fourth scream is the header off the crossbar. And then finally, the fifth scream is the third shot attempt, which is blocked and then barely sails just over the net. Five screams in one sequence of play. That's got to go down as one of the most exciting sequences of play that you can have at the end of a game. And you do a weird thing. You don't actually scream. You don't go, you don't shriek. You go, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, very, very strange. Little window into life with uh, easy with Amanda Gundling there. Um, what's interesting for me is that obviously the full time whistle had gone, and then he gets the voice in his in in his ear, and he goes to the screen, etc. Um, now Carrasco's missed penalty, and then I think it was Saul hitting the crossbar. Dreadful, terrible, but. The way Christina Uncle on CBS, who is now guiding us through the rules of soccer, which we thought we knew, but we didn't. No, we don't. What she said was, like, surely my view was once the penalty was saved, because time has expired, that's it. Game over. No. Apparently, that time is still existing. And in terms of the times, football time space continuum, until that attack ends, until that attack ends, play continues so a lot of people were saying oh well the follow-up wouldn't have counted i thought that too incorrect until the attack was technically over the ball goes out of play or it's cleared that is still live play and it's live play beyond the normal amount of time it's in a new space time continuum amazing it's really wild how like you think about soccer and like on the surface, it's the most simple sport there is. Ball, kick, into net. Like that's like other sports like the NFL. There's a billion rules. Like pass baseball, interference. Yeah, baseball. They're like the sub- subjectivity of a ball and a strike and like, I don't know, tagging up. Like, I don't know. There's so many nuances. Like soccer seems on the surface so simple. It's as crazy as any of these sports, if not more so. But I think what's different is that for most of soccer, uh, including the codification of the rules, we didn't have a key element. And that is, we did not have Americans. We had no Americans. I I forgot that we are the source of all evil. No, no, no. But you are the source of, well, we got to have a rule for that. Like, these rules have nothing to do with Americans. Oh, no. Look at the rules in your sport, right? Like baseball, basketball, there's, I learn a new rule in the NFL every Sunday, every single Sunday. And sometimes rules are made on the fly, like the tuck rule, <laughs> things like that. Whereas in soccer, we let it go. That's a gray area. For like the best part of 100 years, we didn't call a lot of things that should have been called. There was a goddamn ball punched into the net in a World Cup quarterfinal. <laughs> Play on. Right. So forever, we've kind of lived in the gray areas of the rules, whereas in America, and I think this is why I get a lot of pushback over VAR in America, you got to have a rule. You got to call that. It's not fair. Soccer has never operated this way. And, and since we we've added VAR, this has just fried the brains of us Europeans and South Americans. We're not we're not capable of we're not capable of calling everything. And that's why the Premier League wants to go back to an era before fouls were called. 
it's it's insane. Absolutely insane. Yeah, let, let's go back to the way you guys were doing things. What was it in the 1968 European Championships when Russia advanced to the final on a coin flip? Yeah, that's normal. Let's do it that way again. Liverpool got to a cup final. Uh, sorry, excuse me, a Champions League final on a goal. We don't know. Did it cross the line? Can't be sure. Referee gave it. Whatever. That's not okay. I'll be I'll be the American on this podcast and say that's just simply not okay. And that that is the cultural difference I feel between the two. You're so you're okay with it. The Henri handball um, against Ireland, yeah, that's all part of the gray area. No, 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 no. I'm not saying I'm okay with with everything that's always happened. Like I mean, there were some blatant things that got missed. Frank Lampard's shot that hit the underside of the crossbar. I'm just I'm 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 just meaning to explain that this won't fly. In these United States, you guys wouldn't have coped with the last hundred years of officiating. Wouldn't have. I don't. Wouldn't think, have been able to. I don't think it's an American thing. I think it's it's just like the the continuing evolution of television and like the replays became too clear. Like I don't think that it's Americans. I just think like as TV evolved and it became so clear to people watching at home things that referees weren't clear to them on the field, like. It was always going to be heading this way. I don't think it has anything to do with Americans. No, I'm not saying. I think 15 I'm, camera I'm, angles and slow motion is what has brought us to this point. Yeah, I, I think there's there's that. I do think there's, I, I'm, I was more talking about the cultural differences between the American soccer watching public and maybe what we've experienced down the years. But you're right. Social media as well, Andrew. The fact that sure. people are just distributing pictures of, you know, clear handballs or transgressions and creating this kind of this anger uh, that's flowed towards the officials and flown toward and um, in England, they've completely done it the wrong way. They're like, let's have a very clear camera system that will get deep into refereeing decisions and try and fix them. But on the same hand, let's also have a policy of let it flow. It's crazy, but getting back to the, get back to the game. It was a, I mean, it was an incredible finish to what was really a riveting game with all that was on the line. Obviously, Atletico Madrid had to win this match to keep their Champions mm. League hopes alive. Uh, they failed to do so in the most horrifying fashion I can imagine. Which which finish to you, JJ, is the more gut-wrenching finish? The way Tottenham lost, having it taken away from them by VAR, or the way Atletico lost, being given this gift and then kind of spoiling it themselves? I'll go for Atletico. It's a penalty. No one can touch you. And once that ball hits the net, it's over. You're through. And you've got a guy like Carrasco who's well capable of scoring. And he doesn't do it. It's absolutely a gut punch. What A line that jumped out for me was the BBC match report. Sometimes I go back and I read the match reports in case I've missed something. Mm -hmm. Atletico, without a win and goalless in their three previous, in their previous three Champions League outings, without a win and goalless, Exit the competition at the group stage for only the second time in the past 10 years. Wow. That's seismic for them. Seismic for the club, the money that they're going to lose now. And by the way, if they don't pe- beat Porto next week, they'll miss out on a Europa League place. They, this, is, this is catastrophic. We, we, you know, we're talking about Barcelona. I mean, Atleti pay a lot, a lot to their manager. Getting out of the group stage would have covered his wages. It's, uh, this is bad, really bad. I'll tell you what, though. The, the big winner here potentially is the Europa League with like Arsenal atop the Premier League, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid. Like, 
Juventus. This com- I mean, that competition is it's gorgeous, potentially, heading into the round of 32. Yeah, that's true. It is. <laughs> it is. It's, uh, it's beautiful. But it's, it's, so, it's suddenly Thursday nights are, are the big night in soccer. Oh, easy, easy. Ste- steady. Steady. Um, but, and for Carrasco to be the one also, because we had talked about him a few weeks ago about how his season this year versus last year, um, it's like watching a different player and, and not for the better. He was unbelievable, I thought, in this game tonight. He had one move, JJ, down the uh, the near side of the field where he he spun between two defenders and then kind of like back heel, like it was like a back heel nutmeg to complete the pass. Uh, it was like he was he was in his moment tonight until he until he wasn't, and uh, yeah, and it it ends in in horror for Atleti. Look at uh, look at Club Bruges as well, getting whacked by Porto and still enough in the bank to be top of the group. Just. That's a wild group, too. Yeah. It, the competition's been fantastic. A uh, few other ones that I wanted to get to, JJ. You just referenced them. Peace out, Juve. Gone. The, 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 the club spearheading the Super League are unable to remain in the Champions League. Um, I, you want to hear their five, the last five teams to knock them out in the Champions League? Sure. Ajax, Leon, Porto, Villarreal, and Benfica. That is that is just you were talking about Chef's Kiss before. That's perfect. Imagine Agnelli, big glass of brandy in a huge oak chair in a darkened room, gently weeping. A couple things from this one, JJ. I always um, a couple things stood out to me. Uh, it was kind of the best of times and worst of times for Weston McKinney. Obviously, when I'm watching Juventus, my eye never wanders too far from him. Um, the was it the first or second goal scored by Benfica? Um, I don't remember which one, but it was scored from well outside the or, or the ball was played in from outside the box, and it's kind of it's Weston McKinney who's nearest to the the player who's playing it in for Benfica, and he just he just sort of stops, doesn't close him down, um, allows all the time in the world for that ball to be whipped in, and it's whipped in perfectly, and it ends in a goal um, on the header, and I thought. Um, I thought it was kind of not a not a great moment for our guy. The replays did not look too favorably upon him, just kind of standing there allowing that to happen. Um, no, so. thankfully he made amends late on with a with a goal where you thought that the comeback was on. We should also mention pads less less traveled and English players going abroad. Like the substitution to bring on Samuel Lilling Jr. was was fan, was fantastic for Juventus. Almost single handedly turned them around. Had an assist for uh, for Milik. Um, but it was, you know, too little, too late. Uh, I know it's it, the easy thing looking at that game is is to talk about how is Agnelli going to survive? Well, he's going to survive because they can't afford to sack him. Juve, what kind of mess are they in? Like they're they're an eighth in, in in Serie A. Are they going to make the Champions League next year? Blah blah blah. But you've got to give credit to Benfica. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said on the rundown, they look like a truly dangerous dark horse. And I think like Napoli as well, extremely watchable football. And one guy who stood out, and when he was taken off, it actually fell apart a little bit for them, was Rafa Silva. He scored twice. He probably should have had three or four. You're right. 
There was one difficult one. It was flashback at him, and it kind of, he put it over the top. But you're you're probably right. When, when, would... when he came off, JJ, he looked dejected. Like the crowd yeah, cheered him did. off because, like, obviously he had had an unbelievable game. He was involved in so much. He had scored two goals, but like he looked downtrodden because he had only just moments earlier missed what it was a one on one v one. I thought with the keeper. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to keep all his his chances that he had uh, yeah. in my head. Um, oh, that's the one he was. He, he 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 was racing away. I think um, from the middle of the park. I can't. I, yeah, and he put it off the off the post, didn't he? It bounced back. Maybe he did. Yeah, I'm trying. Maybe he did. Yeah. I mean, but he, he was brilliant in the game. He was him and I thought and uh, Jao Mario, those two I thought just kind of controlled this game for Benfica. They looked truly dangerous. Um, I saw so, uh, to, to speak to what you're saying about Benfica and just how good they look and and how threatening they look in this competition. Uh, I saw Max Bretos. I think he put out like the list of his eight teams that can win this competition, and and he included Benfica as one of them. Um, oh, so. how good would that be? That would be amazing. Just on one more thing on Rafa Silva. Mm-hmm. He retired from international football with 25 caps in September. Now, I know Portugal are loaded, but when you see the injury to Diogo Jota, aren't you thinking? Now, it's all right saying get on the phone, get him back. He did say it was for personal reasons and that there was no falling out with the Portuguese FA or with the manager or anything in that case. So we don't know what's going on in his private life that makes him think, I can't do this anymore. But a talent like that, you would just love to see him at the World Cup. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, and like you say, the injuries only kind of exacerbate that. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's 29 years old. Like, he's in his prime right now. Um, yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. But uh, like we said, Juventus out of the Champions League. We continue here. Uh, Chelsea remaining hot in the Champions League. Christian Pulisic, as we uh, continue the American theme, gets the start, plays pretty well, gets an assist. I wanted to ask you about that assist. So the goal from Kai Havertz, is an, it's an amazing goal. It's, it's placed, you can't place a ball better than that from that kind of distance. I mean, it was really a thing of beauty. The thing that I found interesting, so Thierry Henry afterwards said that that, that was not an assist. That should not be an assist. Yeah, but go on. Uh, Utter nonsense. Oh, complete nonsense. Total trash I will say this. take from Henri. Christian Pulisic Over, drags oh. three defenders, spins out of all of them. Kai Havertz is not he's not available to take that shot if Pulisic's not pulling in defenders left and right. So, yeah, yeah Havertz does sp- the hard part, but, like, he's not in position to shoot if Pulisic doesn't do the job that he does beforehand. Spins three defenders and, and stabs a ball with the outside of his right foot into Havertz's feet to curl one into the top corner. Like, why are you parsing through this and saying that someone doesn't deserve an assist? This is a general team. He has been v- a very ornery Frenchman yeah. over the last two days. Like, super. Like, picking fights, picking questions up, taking I, almost seeing that certain questions were beneath him to answer. Um, the one about Zidane. Where, where Kate just asked, you know, do you think this is a job he'd take in terms of the Juve job if it, if it comes up, if Allegri ever does go? And um, just treated it like it was the the most, like she'd asked him what he had for breakfast five years ago. Like, it was a perfectly legitimate question. He was just, just like kind of prickly, very prickly. Yeah, what is that? Uh, I don't I don't know. I, would, I mean, what? I can't be the only one to have noticed it. No, you're not. When I was just on my my documentary binge with like Barcelona stuff, I mean he was interviewed on a lot of it, and he can, he's an incredibly engaging uh, 
thoughtful, intelligent person. O- oftentimes on CBS's coverage, I think he's brilliant. Like I really enjoy yeah. him. But you're right. Over the last couple of days, it was like he was, I don't know, in a bad mood. Maybe he didn't like that they were on on location. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, yeah I thought that. I, mean, I thought at, that at was one a, point he. At one point today, he tapped out. There was a question about handball and his mic because they're on location. They were picking up the mics to speak, and he, he left the mic down. Picks it up and goes, uh, "I'm staying out of this one. I'm sitting this one out, or something like that." Leaves the mic down. I don't know. Very strange. But yeah, I, I thought the Pulisic assist take was just a total garbage take. Like, couldn't now listen. Pulisic more. was playing in a more of a wing back position, and I saw some Pulisic fans on our Twitter weren't happy with this. He got minutes. He got the start. He was taken off after 74 minutes. I thought he was he was just fine. I, th- I thought mm-hmm. he played well. Yeah. Um, I, I, beggars can't be choosers. This, there's no ideal world for Christian Pulisic where he is the, the starting main man at Chelsea right now. It's not there. But let him get on. And like the, the neediness that he has to be this kind of like absolute, you know, center point totem of the Chelsea side. He's playing. He did well yesterday. I thought he was good. Whether he was out of position or not, he found himself in a good position, set up a goal, end off. Yeah. And by the way, I think those are the kinds of performances that you would hope Graham Potter responds to when he said, you know, he's going to get his chances. If he makes the most of them, he'll get more. Like, you know, Potter probably Potter's knows that, that's word. not Pulisic's natural position, but he put him in that spot in a key Champions League fixture and he played pretty well. Like, I would think that that was, I don't know, I, I saw that as nothing but a good night for Pulisic. I didn't see any anything bad with it. Agreed. Um, and that applies to Chelsea as a whole. It was a, a good win for them. Um, and uh, one thing, one additional thing to come out of this, JJ, kind of a peripheral thing, um, like a side note, I saw this from Cesar Izpilicueta, who, you know, with this this fixture list right now that we've talked about, Chelsea's playing key games over the weekend. Um, they've got Champions League ties during the week. And, you know, you're seeing important, figures, Reese James, you know, players of real significance going down with injuries. And as Pilaqueta said, it's difficult and it's sad because as players, you want to go to the World Cup, but we have this schedule where we have to play for our club and do our best. We're fighting a lot for player welfare because the schedule is crazy. Sometimes we have to consider everything. And I think we're in conversations with FIFA. It's difficult because I understand that fans want to see football. We have five subs now, but we have in our team a couple of injuries that make it more difficult to rotate. We're playing every few days but it's how it is and we have to step up. I mean, he's saying that this fixture list is contributing to this rash of injuries that we've seen around the sport. What do you think? It's, it, yeah, I agree. It, and it's really kicked in. You know, I can't remember last week's games, like just for, for football watchers, it's just a blur, a mush of games. You don't know when to record a podcast because they're coming so thick and fast. When is the most optimum time to catch the next round of games? There's more, there's more. The, look, we know we know that there's a lot of people worried about these games, and and it's interesting to hear a player voice that it's it's the stupidest idea, and an idea that can only be driven by money and politics that we have a World Cup in the middle of what is already a crowded season. We would be having these conversations in January and February about fixture lists, and now we're having them in November, and it's because or excuse me, October. And it's because we wanted to ram in this World Cup. Well, it's def- crazy. define we. If well, by we, we you mean it. no one, then uh, yes, I would agree. FIFA and the Qataris. Ah, there we are. Speaking of which, and the, while, while we're talking about 
uh, the Qataris, the World Cup, and documentaries. JJ, November 9th, Appointment Television on Netflix. They're releasing a um, a FIFA documentary. The trailer just went up this past week, I believe. It looks spectacular. Cannot wait. Yeah, I you sent me the trailer last night as I was going to bed. And, there was uh, one line just... in it in the trailer. I was wondering if you made note of what it was. No, go on. <laughs> it was Seth Blatter when he says, I am oh, the did... president of everybody. Oh, how dare you when we are in a dropless world right now yeah, that yeah. was that that drop got used so many times in the i am the president of everyone when he was still scrambling uh-huh. trying to stay atop the throne before uh before the u.s justice department decided no i mean you know that um, documentary is going to be good when i texted you the trailer oh, though what was it you wrote back to me i mean you said uh it's no united passions united passions is still the goat as a piece of uh propaganda united passions is uh is probably one of the best. I've got to go back and watch it. I, I no, you the don't. One time I watched, yeah, I do. The one time I watched it, I was I was quite quite drunk. So I watched it once. Weirdly, it was on ABC one night at two in the morning. I don't know why I was <laughs> awake. So I started it, and it was like I thought, like how bad can it be? It was so I hated it. I actually hated it. It was that it's bad. terrible. And was there no when they were coming up with the title for it, United Passions? No one in the room was like, uh, guys, this kind of sounds like a porn. We might want to do something about the title. No, no, no one came up with that. They were, but I mean, some of the. I remember we did a film review of it. Yeah, and uh, one of one of the one of the funny things about it was like the, the the kind of earnest way they they saw themselves. Everyone's a pioneer. Like we must have the World Cup. We simply must. You know that kind of like. None of the grubby envelopes changing hands and 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 wink wink and and backhanders and bribery and corruption none of that now the one thing i'll say about united passions there is there's one reason why i'm a little bit surprised you specifically didn't love it Go on. if i have one takeaway from that movie aside from the fact that it's trashed the takeaway would be <laughs> jj the english are portrayed as just the worst people in the world <laughs> in that movie <laughs> i love the english <laughs> i do you certainly you sure spend a lot of time rooting against them with all of your body and soul. Look, the uh, I w- I would say that um, the English establishment, yeah, I wouldn't be a big fan of. Oh my god, I'm just looking. So Jules Rime is played by Gerard Depardieu. Yeah. Joao Havelange is played by Sam Neill. Oh, it's a real How cast. They... And Sepp Blatter is played by one of the best actors ever to act, Tim Roth. Yeah, yeah, it's like a, it's a real movie. Now it cost thirty-two million, and um, it's it's um, its box office in the U.S. was one hundred and sixty-eight thousand dollars. Oh my god! It has a one-star rating on IMDb, and Rotten Tomatoes it has a zero percent rating. <laughs> Good lord! It's hard to make a movie that bad about a topic that interesting. You know, like. You got to try to <laughs> f that up. Um, yeah, it's like it's like they gave it to the directors of a Hallmark movie. Uh, how there, dare how you? It? Hallmark movies. I've seen. I watch Hallmark movies. Okay, it's not close. I'll watch a hundred of those before I sit through United Passions again. So they're all the same movie. Yeah, and they're formulaic, and they're all the formula works. Dennis lives in the town, right? He's been a plumber for years. He loves Christmas. He De- Dennis loves Christmas, mm-hmm. right? Sadie is new in the town. They're both 
the Sadie's relationship is broken up, right? But she's got one kid. Dennis has got one kid, right? But Dennis's wife has died. Tragically, terrible. Hasn't gotten over it. Yeah. And they come together to create this amazing business that somehow saves Christmas in the town. The end. Yeah, that's a that's a classic, of course. We've all seen it. Uh, oftentimes there's a prince involved, but he's kind of undercover, doesn't want, you know, he, he wants to kind of no. escape his royal livelihood and then... But he loves Christmas. Oh, loves it. Yeah. Loves it. Uh, let's see, JJ, a couple more games I want to touch on. Liverpool. Um, but let's go into JJ's corner now. And <laughs> so what happened to you today? You sent me a picture. Like, I just... We're such good friends. I feel like I know... I don't know. I feel like I, when you're up to something big, I usually know about it. All of a sudden, I get a picture of you sandwiched in between Jamie Carragher and Michael Richards. Where were you today? How, and how did I not know about this? So um, so they were doing Destination Brooklyn. They were doing the live uh, broadcast of the Champions League, Paramount Plus, Brooklyn Bridge Park, Pier 5, I thought. So I took an hour this morning and I said, I'll go down because... I know Kate Abdo. We know Kate Abdo. And I said, I'll just go down and have a look. And if I see her, I'll say hi. All right. I wasn't going down for any other reason other than just to check it out, see what was going on. Mm. So I turn up at Pier 5 and there's nothing there. St. Francis University football team (laughs) are training. So I get distracted because they're doing a shooting drill and I wander into the middle of it. I'm like, I go on CBS then on their Instagram. Where are CBS? They're actually at Pier 2. So I spent about half an hour watching St. Francis train. So, so I go to uh, Paramount. Uh, uh, they're at Pier 2. The security let me in. You're supposed to have had tickets, but it wasn't nearly full. So they said, we're not even at close to capacity. So you can just wander in. Wandered in, took off my bike helmet and everything. Um, and I'm wearing my Roy Keane t-shirt. You know, the bright pink one with Roy's face on the front, like mm-hmm. scowling. And he looks like, Ahmadinejad or Mel Gibson, <laughs> really one does. or the other. Yeah. yeah. So I walk in and uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of just walking around and it's fine. Like you can like, um, Ian Joy is there. He's uh, doing some uh, live stuff. There's loads of fans. It's a thing for fans really. And all the stars are kind of penned off and recordings about 1240 for the first game or not recording, they go live at 1240 or whatever. So there's not that many people there, but they're all there to see Thierry Henry, Peter Schmeichel, Kate, Abdo, Mika Richards, blah, 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 blah. So I text Kate and I said, I've popped down for a look. About five, five to 10 minutes go by, no, no response. So I'm like, all right, okay, look around again. Feel like, you know what? I, I might scoot off. And then everyone gets up on stage. They're all there. And I go, you know what? I'll watch a little bit. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And I see Mika Richards and Jamie Carragher pointing in my direction. Oh God! And I look behind me and Jamie signals to me, come up, come up. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, so I walk around, go upstairs on stage. <laughs> and it, there's Big Meeks and Cara. And uh, they hand the, uh, Cara hands his phone to a producer and he goes, here, take a picture of this. And so they put their arms around me and they point and uh, it goes up on Jamie's Instagram. Amazing. So, so we take that picture or whatever, and I shake hands with Big Meeks, and I, I tell, tell Jamie that I'd interviewed him before, and, but he, said, he didn't remember. Um, it's a few years ago now. And so I walk down, and I see Kate, and uh, give, give Kate a hug, say, how are you? And she goes, she was asking after you. She goes, where's Andrew? And I said, well, 
he's actually started a new job. And he goes, oh, he's not here. You're not recording a, a podcast now. And I said, no, we're going to record tonight. And she goes, oh, okay. And then she looks at me t-shirt and she goes, but you don't support Manchester United. I'm She's like, no. 100% but right. It's, it's the thing that I find weirdest about that shirt when you but wear it. He he was captain of Ireland. But, he was our greatest footballer. But he's probably Why is more. It, because I, he, I think among the general public, not among the Irish, but among the general public, I think he's more known for Manchester United than for Ireland. Fair. Probably, probably amongst the Irish, too. He's more Manchester United. But. He, he was a hero of mine. It used to break my heart that he would be there winning Champions Leagues and winning Premier Leagues. Um, I'm there watching Jason McAteer in the for Liverpool, and we're struggling to finish fourth. But like if, if like so David I, Wright was a hero for the U.S. in the World Baseball Classic, I wouldn't get a shirt with his face on it. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. You love Kobe Bryant because he was a Philly Do guy, I? right? I thought you loved Kobe Bryant. I mean, he was... I don't want to say like means he was never one of my favorite players. So put it that way. I thought you had a lot of time for him. No. Okay. All right. Never all one right. of my favorites. Okay. Well, but the world baseball classic is not the same thing anyway. What? You're right. That's bigger. Um, I forgot. <laughs> so she goes, yeah. And, and, uh, so, you know, when you're there and I'm up on stage and there, there are probably a few minutes from going live. So I'm like, I got to get out of here. Right. So I walk past Henri. There's nothing to say to Henri. I've seen the form he's in the last two days. I'm like, Keep going. <laughs> And I get to the end, and uh, there's Peter Schmeichel, and uh, I said, "I have to, I have to shake hands with Schmeichel." I, I grew up watching this guy pull off some of the best saves, the five point star, everything. So I stick my hand out. He turns around, he goes, "Oh, hey!" Big smile, shakes my hand, looks at, clocks the t-shirt, uh-huh. and I thought, "This is levels." He's looking at the face of the man he rolled around in a hotel lobby, punching the hell out of each other on preseason tour about 20, 25 years ago as I shake his hand. And he's, he's kind of trying to twig what's going on here. Like, but, um, so you thought yeah, his so, reaction would be like when Chubbs Peterson opens the box and sees the alligator, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. But, um, Schmeichel, very nice. If you think he's like the kind of kindly older person on, on the crew, he, he does come across as that in real life. Anyway, so I went down, and um, who else did I say hello to? I said hello to uh, Mike L. Goodman was there. Oh. Mike Goodman uh, from of Twitter statistic, football statistics and the Double Pivot podcast. He was there. said hello to him. Had a nice chat with him. Nice. Um, said hello to Maurice Edu, Mo Edu oh, for a little man. bit. Oh, um, man. Look at you. And then, uh, and then as I was leaving. So, so what's interesting to me, like there's Kate Abdo up on the stage on live TV. Absolutely knows knows who I am, knows our pod- podcast, has been on it. Mm-hmm. And as I'm leaving, I wanted to say hello to Ian Joy. So I, I said, Ian, how's it going, man? And he goes, all right. Oh, how's it going? You know, he's a really nice guy. Yeah, he's great. He did that, the half handshake, half embrace, which is what everyone does now. It's like, it's like men, we're getting in touch with our feelings, but, but not too much because there's a hand that just makes sure there, there's not too much contact. So uh, said hello to him. Walk. I could have been... He's been on our podcast too, but I could have been Robert Mugabe. I could have said, hello, I'm Robert Mugabe, former president of Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have known, had no clue who I was, none whatsoever. And then I got on my bike and I cycled away. What an astounding day. Now, can I ask you a question? I'm going to shoot you up with, with sodium pentothal, some truth serum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you put on, you put on that shirt specifically. This played out exactly the way you had hoped it would. You thought they'll see you in the shirt, it'll be a thing, and you'll get up on stage. Actually, 
uh, reverse. I had thought if I wear my Liverpool Football Club T-shirt, um, that there was a chance I get to chat Cara. But it was in the laundry, so I grabbed the keen one and thought, ah, you know, this will be a bit of fun. So I definitely thought there was an angle to it. Okay, but it wasn't really deliberate. It was more maybe. But the thought crossed your mind. Of if course, I put yeah. this shirt on, there's a chance that something interesting will happen to me. You've seen me operate. You've seen me go in, at Yankee Stadium, go into the FSG yeah. box when I'm supposed to be in the ESPN box and have whiskey with Kenny Dagleish. <laughs> You've seen that happen. Yeah. So why are you doubting me? No, I believe it. It's all so believable. That's what I'm saying. It was so funny. All the executives from FSG, like that, the top people. And I land in in this... Um, powder blue blazer <laughs> just walking around like i'm like i like i really should be there and i i'm drinking whiskey with uh with kenny daglish before and once i've done with that i go back to the to the rest of the schlubs in the sbn box right where i was yeah see that's Head the difference between, schlub number one that's the difference between us like when i if i were an event like that i would go out of my way to make sure no one sees me like what's the most bland article of clothing i can put on so i can just blend in here I respect you for I, it. I, I wish I had more yeah, of that in me. It's not even about attention. I just feel like I need to be loved. I need to be. Well, that's a whole um, other thing. Yeah, that's another thing. Uh, um, so back to JJ's corner, Liverpool, uh, 3-0. Considering yep. the injury situation, I think uh, got to be very happy. Although players are slowly coming, sort of coming back, right? Uh, not really. Kind of, I suppose. Well, um, yeah, actually. Very, but I mean, there's two long-term injuries in uh, like Darwin Nunez. He missed over the weekend. He was back. But that was a thigh strain. It was. It was. Um, we'll talk about him in a second. But Liverpool ran out easy winners after a horrific first half, like a really bad first half where Ajax hit the post in the first two minutes. Should have gone ahead in that game. There's no question. Uh, and Liverpool barely had a shot on target until they had a goal, and um, and probably should have added to that in the first. It should have been two nil at halftime. Liverpool. Or possibly 2-2. Two, two. Uh, Ajax had two really good chances. Um, so, yeah, so Salah gets his goal. Brilliant goal Which him. is just uh, just a wonderful ball by Jordan Henderson, too, as well. Just so good. Um, I, I, I kind of more like the finish from Salah than I did the ball from Henderson. Stabbed with the outside of the boot. I thought you'd find that sensual. But Salah's like the t- just like taking it first time, that touch kind of like finessing it past the keeper. I don't know. I just... Aesthetically pleasing, no. one of those. No, um, now Pasveer is just a keeper. I I don't believe in. I have no faith in that guy. <laughs> uh, Onana has not been replaced, but that's that's by the by. Uh, the conundrum of Darwin Nunes continues. So, the aforementioned second goal that Liverpool should have had. I mean, he misses, hits the post from what would you say, Andrew? Six yards on a maybe a slight angle. Yeah, I mean. Just a tar- just a just a miss that like you're like what oh my god somehow it was and only sec- the second worst miss of the week from uh in the in this competition yeah we'll, we'll get to we'll the direct other you one. to Shakhtar v Ch- uh, v Celtic for that one I mean that was uh, that was that was much worse than than Nunez much, much one worse. of the worst I've ever uh, seen Mount Rushmore but anyway misses, but yeah yeah it's it it was horrendous um although did Mudrick play it a little bit behind him no 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 stop. No, no. Stop. Um, but anyway, so the conundrum of Darwin Nunes continues. He's been just absolutely molested and, and grabbed and pulled by Timber on the corner kick. Ball comes in. 
and uh, he it's a wonderful header into the bottom corner and his boot he his boot was coming off as well he was pointing to his boot so um you know great strength and and poise and an excellent header so he is i I still have my reservations about him, uh, but he is an agent, as you said last week. What an agent of chaos! Um, he's a and he's a human ink blot. Like you know those things, like you, a, like a psychiatrist will hold something up and you tell him a what you see. He's a human ink blot. Like whatever, whatever you want to see in him, you can see. You will. He's see. all things to all people. He's. He's incredible. He's gifted. He's an amazing young talent. He's also maddening, infuriating, endlessly frustrating. Like he's everything. He's the most interesting player in the league. Like it, it's wild. He's he's a thrill a minute. And and if he can, like he's still very young, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. What is he? Twenty three. Twenty three. I mean, like when he's 26 what will he be like the talent is there for this guy to be a truly transcendent player but like he's also kind of it feels like at a bit of a crossroads like he could also continue down the path of kind of being just endlessly frustrating um we'll yeah, see I, I i i'm i'm not convinced yet uh i don't know has he the subtlety to be a really really top class center forward but then other people are so vehemently in his corner um, but you can't fault him so far. He's got a very decent goals record already, uh, even factoring in his suspension. So yeah, let's let's continue to enjoy the maddening chaos. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Finally, one other quick one, JJ. I just want to mention PSG seven two over Maccabi Haifa. Um. I mean, a game that they were always slated to win, but I just find it a little bit interesting. Um. Messi, Neymar, Mbappe. They scored five of the seven. Um generally speaking, they've all like, it's starting, it feels like it's clicking. Like Messi obviously did not have a good season a year ago. That's just a, a fact. Um, he's brilliant. So but far. he's been, he's kind of recapturing some of that messy magic. He scored one of my favorite goals of the tournament so far in this game. Um, you, you just uh, like, again, don't want to overreact to a, a game against Maccabi Haifa, their PSG, like it's not a fair fight, but just to see what those guys are doing, I can't help but wonder like, okay, this is, are we starting to see what it was that we thought we were going to see last year, but that was premature. Maybe it wasn't fair to think that they would click like that right away. Are we starting to see it now? And if we are just like, what is the ceiling for them? Well, Nothing's changed, really. I mean, if they're going to score five goals and, 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 and play together, it's going to be at home to Maccabi Haifa. This team is capable of winning the Champions League. We know that. They're also capable of exploding in spectacular fashion in the knockout round at any point. We That, that to me, is still the case. Um, Messi is in absolutely scintillating form right now. I think having a really good good preseason has has stood to him we'll see how all of these guys return from the world cup that's going to be that's going to be interesting but like psg are right there andrew but i i would still have real concerns when it comes up against really well organized quality sides how do you factor in the fact that there are three guys in your side who while are excellent footballers on the attack do not really give you anything else outside of that and as long as the humor and the mood and the morale between the three is good 
that's fine. But when it's not and you start hearing Mbappe complaining, how does that feed into the team? You know, they just need to keep a clean bill of psychological health health for, for the rest of the Champions League. You know what I'm talking about. A hundred percent. Absolutely. This is this is still very volatile. And and it should be said, okay, seven two against Maccabi Haifa and they're clicking it and it's it's fun to watch. But you know, Certainly. let's not forget that their previous two Champions League matches against Benfica, they had them back to back, I think, were both one one draws. So um, you know, when it when it clicks, it's it's brilliant, it's amazing, but doesn't it, it doesn't always click? Um, so yeah, they're they are probably the great wild card of this tournament. I think you'd have to say right now, like it, there's a chance that like they could they could win this thing, um, but like you said, there's a chance that they could be out in the round of sixteen, and I don't know if either of those things would be surprising necessarily so it makes them no. makes them one of the most interesting maybe the most interesting team left in in the competition i think, I think whatever oh whatever we say about them they are their appointment viewing for either the the unbelievable outside of the foot genius of messi or the implosion that could happen if mbappe falls out with Neymar again <laughs> uh you got anything else on the champions league before we move on not really i mean you you covered the the horrifying miss um Celtic going out, they're not even going to make the Europa League. Yeah. That's pretty pathetic. Rangers equally pathetic. Um, I, I really think that's it for me. One other thing. Ah, yes. Just checking through my notes, Andrew. Uh, City penalties. Oh, Russia Dortmund. Yeah. Not not much to say about that game, but I will say Ray Edmaris shouldn't be taking penalties. Um, the analyst from Opta have the list of the worst penalty takers in competition history. This is for the Premier League now. So we have Juan Pablo Angel. He, he, um, this is now, you, you have to have taken 10 or more penalties. So he had a 5 out of 10 ratio. That's 50%. Then Steve Malbronk huh. at 60%. Dwight York, 60%. Kevin Phillips, 11 out of 18. Who was Steve Malbronk taking penalties for? Fulham, I guess. Or Tottenham it wouldn't have been Tottenham, right? He wouldn't have been no. taking them over Defoe or or ten, ten penalties. Or... It had or Keane. It, ten penalties. It would have had to been um, Fulham. Um, Michael Owen, fourteen out of twenty-one, a sixty-seven percent ratio for him. And Red Maras, twelve uh, out of eighteen, sixty-seven percent ratio as well. Making up the rest is Christian Benteke, Wayne Rooney, hmm. twenty-three out of thirty-four, and Teddy Sheringham, twenty-one. Out of 31, a 68% ratio. Um, the best penalty takers, Yaya Torre, 11 out of 11, 100%. Matthew Letizia, 25 out of 26, 96%. Danny Murphy, 18 out of 19, 95%. And Julian Dix, Dixie, former West Ham legend, 15 out of 16, 94%. Um, the rest is made up. James Beatty, Callum Wilson, Thierry Henry, Frank Leboeuf. Uh, surprised to see Frank Leboeuf there, a center half. Uh, Gary yeah. Speed and Leighton Baines. But um, Julian Dix, his policy on penalties, Andrew, was just to kick them as hard as you can. Love it. Rocket them. I certainly prefer that to the alternative. Um, it's a weird thing, That's JJ, sure. under under Pep. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you explain this. They've missed. They've taken 80 penalties and missed 25 of them. Like, it's not just a Riyad Mahrez problem. It's whoever is stepping up for them is... Like whoever's walking up to the spot, it's not a sure thing. It's in a team that has kind of owned this era. It's a very weird quirk. Like a, a you very know who weird I'd footnote. let take one. You know who I'd let take one. 
Well, I mean, ordinarily, I would think it would be Holland now. Now, he was he came off early in this game with, I guess, he was sick. Also, he was hurt. Um, yeah. But um, I would let Ederson have one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I mean, why not De Bruyne? Um, I don't know. It feels like there's like there's so many great players on that team. It's it's just a I don't know. I don't know how you explain it. If it's a coincidence, if it's actually if there's something to it, if they're not practicing this enough, I don't know. It doesn't seem like Pep that anything would slip through the cracks. Just weird. Just a strange thing. And he he, st- he stitched Mares up. He did his complete head in his hands fall. Just utter shock when he shouldn't really. I mean, why is he still letting Mares take penalties? That's on you, Pep. Yeah, it's it's a strange thing. Um, I don't know. We'll. See. I mean, in this competition, we'll see if it bites them at some point. Obviously, when penalties become potentially more of a factor in the knockout stages. But yeah, I don't know. Twenty five misses out of eighty attempts. Really strange. Uh, let's see, JJ back here in the United States. Um, obviously, some enormous MLS matches coming up in the conference finals of the postseason. Um, but will the postseason look like this ever again? That is the question that is being asked now, as there is talk of uh, a possible reboot, reformatting, whatever you want to call it, of the MLS postseason. Nothing is official yet, but it's just something that's being considered. Um, The way it would work would be 16 teams would qualify, and then it would go into a World Cup-style tournament. Four groups of four, separated by conference. Top two in each group advance into a knockout tournament, also separated by conference. Um, This is their goal. We should give some... Go ahead. Yeah, go on. Well, I was going to say their goal in their new deal with Apple, because right now I believe in the current format, 13 playoff games are played. We all know how TV deals work. Money is made in the postseason. Like that's just, that's the money time of year for TV contracts. Obviously they have a huge one coming up with Apple. They want more playoff games. This format would get them to 30 playoff games. Um, I would say, look, it could still potentially be good. When When I, I'm, I just always hesitate to go full guns blazing into something when I feel like it's being done for money and not necessarily for pure entertainment value. Um, I kind of, I kind of li- like the way it is. the single elimination. I feel like, look, I know, I know their gripe. The postseason is kind of done in the blink of an eye. I mean, they build up this entire season to the playoffs and then it's, it's over very quickly. Um, so I, I do get that. Um, but boy, it's it, boy, is it exciting in the single elimination form. It really is. Now, the article that broke this was um, in The Athletic, and they said they can get to 25 games if they reinstitute the the two-legged, because um, this is single elimination, so right. the home and away playoff um, format would get them back to 25 games. But I don't think anyone enjoyed that. I don't think anyone really liked that. I'm not sure anyone's going to like this. Where is the space for this, Andrew? Like, they're going to play 34 games, regular season games, plus this World Cup style format. You've got Leagues Cup. You've got um, uh, the Open Cup. Come and you've still got this for certain, for certain teams. For certain teams. Like, it, it is a lot. And I understand the, the money aspect to it, but I'm, I'm, I don't like this. Oh, the, and it's important to remember as well, this is going to behind, be behind a uh, a paywall. You know, I'm not sure this makes me want to watch the postseason anymore. I I I I think they've. I like the postseason. I know 
there was a line in the article that said it doesn't give a chance for narratives to grow. But don't the narratives grow in the regular season? Isn't that what it's for? Is there is there an argument that you reduce the regular season games and get to the World Cup thing quicker? I, well, I'm, that won't I'm, happen. I mean, that's no. Just... Now listen, no, none of this is set in stone. No, um, it's going to be sorted out in Brooklyn next month at the uh, the league meeting. So I don't love it. I understand they want to make a splash. They want to they want to really tap into to the revenue in the postseason uh, when in their first season with Apple. But I don't like it. I just don't like it. Yeah, I don't. I mean. I don't hate it, but I I kind of do like it the way it is now. Um, I don't know. It's uh, we'll see. These things don't get floated for no reason. I would say that. So when when you see something like this floated, to me it feels kind of like a start wrapping your mind around it because clearly somebody leaked this for a reason, um, and maybe they they're gauging oh, it's happening. gauging it's reaction. Ha- yeah, um, it's coming. Let's see a couple other things, JJ. Um, kind of a random one. Let's go back. Let's go back to uh, the ornery Thierry Henry and something that he said. So um, Thierry ornery, nice, well done, beautiful. Um, he he made a comment on Tuesday's broadcast where he said something to the effect that the um, the Dempsey, Charlie Davies, Morris Adu, that generation of the U.S. men's national team was better than this current generation. Um, and define better theory. Yeah, I guess. But so I, I decided, okay, let me go back and look at the, the U S squad for the 2010 world cup. Um, and I'll tell you what, when I did like it instinctively, cause you keep hearing like that this group of U S talent is, this is the most talented team that the U S has ever assembled. Um, but like 2010 is not necessarily thought to be the best ever U.S. team. I think a lot of people look at 2002. Uh, okay. But like I looked at 2010. So if you go through it by positions, goalkeeper, it was Tim Howard, Brad Guzon, and Marcus Hanneman. You give the clear edge to 2010 at that in that department. Defensively, Jonathan Spector, Carlos Bocanegra, Gucci Onyewu, uh, Steve Chirundolo, Jonathan Bornstein, Jay Demerit, Clarence Goodson. Um, I give the edge to 2010. Um, look at the center backs that that team had. Yeah, I, yeah, but look at, yeah, I mean it's tough because Anthony Robinson, Serginio Dest, um, but the like Chirundolo yeah. and Specter, they weren't bad. Specter was a regular I, West Ham. Um, you know, Bakanegra and Onyewu. Uh, you know what I think of Onyewu? I think he's maybe the best central defender the U.S. has had in the last, I don't know, twenty, thirty years. And and injuries derailed him. Yeah. Um, I'd still prefer, yeah, at the center back position, we we don't have stability like there was in 2010. I would prefer, I would prefer our our modern fullbacks. Technically, far superior. Okay. Yeah. To I guess to the options in 2010. But I don't know that we looked at well, Jonathan Bornstein maybe. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh. Midfield: Michael Bradley, Demarcus Beasley, Landon Donovan, Stu Holden, Ricardo Clark, Francisco Torres, Mo Adu. Benny Failhaber. There's quality in there. It's really good. They're, yeah, I mean, Bradley was was at the peak of his, well, at the early peak of his powers. Donovan, um, kind of in his prime, maybe the greatest American of all time, arguably. But 
in 2010, I suppose he had the, the, I mean, he had the loan spells at Everton or whatever, but he was primarily an MLS player. I think if I'm going on where the players are in their careers, like our midfield now, we got a guy from Valencia, a guy from Juventus, a guy from Leeds United, you know, but that's but pretty, like look at, but if you look at that team in a 2010, guy, a, a guy from Borussia Dortmund, like Claudia Reyna is technically better than any one of those. Uh, if I, and I'm going to put Claudia Reyna as an attacking midfielder for the purposes of the argument. He's technically better than any one of those names there. Uh, who, just Claudio Reyna or Gio Reyna? Sorry, excuse me, Gio Reyna. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> he is. Yeah, yeah, I would, now, give you, I would give you that. Now, that's still a good, I re, like, that is, when you go through this team and you look at it, for me, that's the strength. Bradley, Beasley, Donovan. Um, now, the problem was that team, I, like I believe that. Ricardo Clark was starting for them. And it, remember, uh, which game was it in that World Cup where he was taken off after 30 minutes? Like, it was just, it was not, it wasn't working. Uh, so, you know, that's one of the things you remember about that midfield that, you know, there was kind of a hole there, uh, which was later filled by Jermaine Jones. Um, but then, and then the forward line, Clint Dempsey, Josie Altidore, Robbie Finley, Edson Buttle, Hercules Gomez. I mean, look, Dempsey and Josie, they're, are, they're just not pure goal scorers on this iteration of the U.S. That, like there were with those two. Say what you want about Josie I mean, and his health issues, but Clint Dempsey's maybe the greatest goal scorer in American history. Um, Dempsey's head and shoulders above all those other names. Yeah, and that was Dempsey again, right in his prime, like Fulham Dempsey. Um, so the, the difference is, though, these guys walk the walk. They went to World Cups, mm-hmm. you know. Right, and that's why it's because, almost not even a fair comparison because this group hasn't had no. the chance to prove it yet. So, but they, but Henri Henri does. I mean, in his comments about Pulisic, you kind of feel like you know he's saying you have so, uh, at some point you have to prove it yourself. You have to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. It can't be just the manager. You just have to go and do it. He's being kind of like strident about about U.S. players. Um, and I felt maybe the company he was in yesterday, it was just an easy thing for him to say. Like, if you were to ask Henri to list the 2010 U.S. Men's National Team World Cup roster or even list their starting 11, how far would he get? Not very. I think it was one of those, you're in a good mood. <laughs> I know he was, I was saying he was ornery, but he's in a mood uh-huh. that could change, but he's in a mood and he's in a generous mood and he just throws a bone to the guy's beside him at the desk i don't think a ton of thought went into this andrew you're right really honest and and admittedly i have not put a ton like if we wanted to i feel like we could do full podcasts comparing like different you know world cup uh (laughs) you have to help me out because i i i mean i was i was supporting the u.s in this tournament obviously because they were in a group with england but um and i was in the u.s at the time but you know i didn't know all the names i mean i couldn't tell you very much about jonathan bornstein what do you want to know? I'll tell you everything. And, you know, it's worth <laughs> noting, too, you talk about walking the walk. This Pretty much this same team, except with Charlie Davies, uh, just a year earlier, nearly won the Confederations Cup when they upset Spain and then had a two-goal lead against Brazil at the half and then gave up three and wound up losing in the final 3-2. So, like, this was a pretty accomplished team. Um, and you're right. We may look back on this current group and whatever it is they're about to do. And we may say, God, how foolish we were to think that the 2010 uh, version was better. I mean, and I hope that's the case. Uh, God, do I hope, what will that mean? If we go back and say this, that it's not, that this group is way better then they'll have achieved great things. 
the, the thing that the things that this group has that are the 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 landmark things so far. Nations League Cup win against Mexico, high pressure. Gold Cup high pressure game against Mexico, both wins, and the performances home and away in qualifying against Mexico. Those are the standout things that this team can take. They. And, and and throw on the table and say, hey, 2010 team, look at this. That's what they've got. Yeah, which I suppose is something, but you know, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to do it at a World Cup. And now they'll have their chance, and I can't wait to see it. And obviously we'll be in the weeks to come really starting to dive in even more than we have already. And I feel like we've already been pretty uh up to our neck in it. Um, but we're gonna go even deeper as uh as the weeks progress. And we should know to kind of close out here, JJ, speaking of the U.S. men, they've announced that they'll be holding one more training camp before the World Cup, October 25th to November 5th. It's going to be for MLS players. We knew this was coming, right? Did we know? Yeah, we knew this was coming. Well, it was just announced officially. It's going to be for MLS players who are still in contention for a spot on the U.S. World Cup roster, but whose teams are no longer in the MLS Cup playoffs. Um, Here's the list of players attending the camp. It includes uh, Paul Areola, uh, Jesus Ferreira, Aaron Long, Shaq Moore, Jordan Morris, Christian Roldan, Gaga Slonina, DeAndre Yedlin, and Walker Zimmerman. Um, I, th- I suppose it's more interesting for the names that are not there. Um, Georgi Mihalovic, um, who we, you know, I think we knew he was not going to be included. There had been hints dropped on that. Matt Miazga, another one. And I-, I mentioned him because he has made it clear that he is not happy with the current situation, with him not being in the picture for this World Cup. Uh, he was on the Queen City Press podcast. He talked about his relationship with Greg Berhalter, and he said oh, this. No. He said, we didn't see eye to eye on a few things in the past, and that has affected me from being called up, but it is what it is. I'd like to say a few things, but I'll refrain from that. You guys will eventually find out. Hmm. Well, just say them, Matt. Hmm. Hmm. Just say them. We're saving them for a rainy day, pal. Oh, if I was if I was on that podcast now, I would be gutted. Just come out and say it. You're not going to the World Cup. Just tell us. Well, maybe he doesn't want to be a distraction before a World Cup. I don't know. Oh, very patriotic of him. <laughs> yeah. I, we salute you for getting right up to the line, but then deciding to kind of walk it back at the last second. Um, yeah. I don't know. Is that a thing with Triple G? You know, you hear that about John Brooks. Um, this... this uh, I just can't wait to finally see how this plays out at central defense just because, like, God, it's it has potential to be such a thing for the rest of time with some of the names that are not going to be included that seem on the surface like – I mean, I'm not, I would not say Matt Miazga is an obvious choice. His career has not quite gone that direction. But just like, you know, guys who are playing in Europe – JJ, there, I saw over the weekend – what you have? You had three different central defenders – uh, captaining their sides in Europe, two of whom play in top five leagues in Europe. The the other one being Cameron Carter-Vickers at Celtic, but um, it was Tim Ream captaining Fulham and J.J. Eric Palmer-Brown uh, captaining, who, where is he play, that he plays? Troye? Troy in, in yeah. Ligue 1? Um, I mean, like, again, it's just like I've said about Tim Ream all along, and I'll throw... These uh, Carter Vickers, I think when it's all said and done, I, I do think he'll be on the squad, but I don't think he'll be starting. He may not play a single minute the whole tournament. That's probably what like the odds makers would tell you um, based on the way Bearhalter has been using Long and Zimmerman. So it's just like it's just one of those things that will be looked at for all of time of like at a position of that on the surface appears to be somewhat of a weakness. You had players 
who were prominent at their clubs in Europe in major leagues uh, that could not break through that uh, that top two. It's just like I, I hope for Greg's sake it works out because it's going to be a thing that he'll have to wear forever if it doesn't go his way. I mean, on the other side, there's there's certain things that. I mean, John Brooks is doing him a huge favor right now by not getting any kind of a run. He's not getting a sniff at Benfica. I mean, we all thought that was a like a really good move. He was on the bench tonight, didn't come off it. He's in, in, in the Portuguese league. He's been in the squad five times. He's not started once and he's been substituted in twice. Like he's he's played like two minutes of football. Yeah. He's, I mean, that, that's been a disastrous move. So, uh, Greg Berhalter will be able to go, hey, look, what am I supposed to do with this guy? Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's that's one where it looks like, but like it's interesting, like Carter Vickers, captaining Celtic, he's only 24. Pa- Eric Palmer Brown, captaining Troy in League uh, he's only 25. Like, these are young guys in their prime that, like, you could be building your program around for years to come at that position. Like, you could be set there, but... I, I I agree with what you're saying and, and you're echoing the sentiments of a lot of US men's soccer Twitter and, and, and supporters. But Greg has his guys. Like I'm convinced it will be Long and Zimmerman to start. And look, like again, it's one of those things where if it works out, you're you're a guy like you hear all the time about the nineteen eighty US Olympic hockey team, the Miracle on Ice side. Like Herb had his guys. Like he didn't necessarily take like the 20, however many, 25 best players to that tournament. Like he knew the guys that fit his system. Now I'm not comparing Herb Brooks to Greg Berhalter, but like if it works out and it winds up, you know, where this team exceeds expectations, makes some kind of a run, then we'll, we're, people are going to have, I just wonder JJ, I guess what I'm trying to get to is like, will people ever move off of their opinion? Will there ever be a thing that this team could do? Like what happened, remember with Jill Ellis, we talked about when the U S women went on and won and we said, God, people are going to be criticizing her all the way up to her holding the trophy at the end of this tournament, which is what happened. Like I'm beyond, will there ever be a day? Like if it, if it goes the right way, uh, you know, will people ever say, well, I guess Greg was right. Or are people always going to be of, well, they won in spite of Greg. I think it's going to be the, in spite of, uh, let me tell you, the views are so entrenched that right now parts of U.S. soccer are convinced that if he starts the team as he sees it, which they expect it to be Zimmerman and Long at center back, that we will be ripped asunder. Mm-hmm. That, is their, that isn't just an opinion. That is an entrenched viewpoint. And I don't, I don't see any minds changing whatsoever. It, it mirrors... It mirrors U.S. politics in many ways. Well, there are views that that are just there, and they're they are immovable. Well, I hope at some point people can at least try to put that aside a little bit and like be more interested in like the. I, I look, it's fair to be critical. Like we're fans, and that's part of what being a fan is. You second guess things. You do how you would do it. Guys, you like guys you don't like. That's that's totally fine. But like ultimately, we're going to root for this team, and I hope people would rather be. I hope I just hope people get in the mindset of like I'd rather them win than than me be right. And I don't know if like you're right. Are we in a are we in a place in time where it's more important to be right than to actually have your team come out and win? Oh my god, a thousand percent. Well, that's a shame. I'll say right now, oh, a thousand. I, that will not be me. All right, I have been I have been not fully in on what's going on at the center back pairing. 
you know how I've been talking about Tim Ream for like, it's probably been like six months now. I feel like where I've been saying, why is this guy not like, but like, if it works, then, it, then it'll work. Like I, I will, I will always be genuine and honest, I guess is what I'm saying is if like, I'm not so entrenched that if Walker Zimmerman is brilliant in this tournament and Aaron Long is brilliant in this tournament, you'll hear that from me. I'll say that. Um, I have my concerns. Certainly as a fan, I have my concerns, but I'm not, I'm not rooting for that. I'm rooting for these guys to kill it. I hope they do. So we'll this see. Is, this is, this is a religious ferocity that is approached to, to this team. So you're kind of, come on, everybody, let's get behind the boys, whoever they are. Cause they're wearing those blue, red and white stripes. And once they're wearing it, well, well, gosh, darn it. I want to be with, with them, you know, that forget it. Forget it. Also, I wouldn't say that that. they're wearing uh, red, white, and blue stripes. I would say, come on, because come on, guys, they're wearing some sort of fracturous, blackish with blue mixed in. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the colors that made this nation great. Right. Uh, um, No, I, I, I'll be supporting the team. We, but we, we, we will have a job in our emergency World Cup podcast to analyze the team, Andrew. Of course, we'll have to be. We're going to be at some points extremely harsh about it, and we should just accept that. Um, but we will be backing whatever. Le- We're not going to wish just for the sake of, I don't know, for the sake of a, a viewpoint or an opinion. You know, it's not about vindication; it's about the team winning. Yeah, of course. Uh, let's all and let's all hope they do. At least those of us listening who are American fans. One more thing before we uh, before we move off this podcast. Very quick one, Andrew. The uh, Professional Footballers Association of Australia has a message. They tweeted out a message from their Socceroos on the FIFA World Cup, and it is addressing the human rights issue in Qatar directly. Hmm. Um, one of the first teams that's qualified to actually come out and, and have their voices very clearly uh, made about... Um, both prescribing the problems, seeing how things have got better in Qatar, but how saying it's not enough and that they simply can't be silent about it. So that's really quite unusual because England has decided that they'll wear some kind of armband to show some kind of vague solidarity with everyone, but they have not had, for example, the captain Harry Kane. And this is multiple members of the... Socceroos talking in a, a Twitter video released by the Professional Football Association of Australia. And they're, they're very clear in what they say. Um, there's no mincing of the words. Yeah. And um, it's quite strong. It's the strongest thing we've seen uh, from any, any team that's going to play in this World Cup on the issue. Yeah. Kane, by the way, said that he would wear a rainbow-colored one-love armband at Qatar. Again, vague and and uh but i think it's it's uh, sure if you want to say it's vague but i mean look we know what what the rainbow coloring represents and i think i do think that it sends at least somewhat of of a positive message i don't but 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 andrew for 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 a squad of players okay it's the australian squad a lot of guys their faces did not recognize them but for them to say the words Mm -hmm. to to speak and vocalize the problems in the country, I think, was big. You're right. Now, I would guess that Kane will be asked about this, and so he'll he'll be speaking on it as well. He may have already, and I just haven't seen it. Um, but you know, I, I would I would assume that he will 
Uh, I feel like the actually FAA he did. Announced- I have the quote here. He said, "I'm honored to join my fellow national team captains in supporting the important One Love campaign." As captains, we may all be competing against each other on the pitch, but we stand together against all forms of discrimination. Uh, this is even more relevant at a time when division is common in society. Wearing the armband together on behalf of our teams will send a clear message when the world is watching. Um, Jossie Marr, the uh, Norwegian football magazine, have a World Cup preview coming out, and it's going to be in, in English, so you'll be able to order it, not um, not Norwegian. And um, on the front cover, they have a picture of one of the Kenyan workers who died in the construction of one of the stadiums in Qatar. Hmm. So that is, uh, I'm not criticizing Harry Kane, but that's a much more to the point uh, thing to do. Yeah. And uh, we'll, of course, as the, as we close in on the world cup, we'll talk more about this for sure. I'd love to have someone on to talk about it um, in, in even greater detail. Uh, but JJ, that's about, uh, that's about all I got. Yeah, that's it. Um, no text message from Kate, no text message from big meeks, nothing from Kara. So I guess they're, uh, what else do you need? The- it's not enough that they pulled you on stage and took a picture of you and put you on their Instagram. Like, what do you want them to take you home with them? Would, would dinner not be, that was the question. All right. Hey, this was fun. Now, I did text Kate and say you'd be free for lunch tomorrow. Oh, okay. Well, so, so if that happens, you better be ready. Who, me? Yeah, me, you, we'll, we'll all go for lunch. I can't go. Why can't you? I have my job. I just started a new job. Tomorrow I have a, a day of, like, a full day of meetings and things. I'm a very important person, JJ. I, You're a businessman now. I, I stare longingly out windows at the city beneath me. Um, yes. Uh, well, hey, this was fun. What an inc- what a what a absolutely breathless last couple of days it was in the Champions League, and it all continues this weekend. A lot more action still to come. We'll be back, of course, with more caught offside next week. Remember, subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, all of the above, all of those things. JJ, this was fun, man. To you, I say, check you later, fun boy. See you later. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.